Good morning, everybody. Good morning at home. It's so good to see you this morning. You know, it's so nice to see your faces. I want to just tell you something. We have missed you so much. You know, it's not the same, you know, when we see your name on the screen, it's just not the same as seeing you face to face. That's so good. And, you know, it's remarkable. You guys are much better looking than we, than we remembered, eh? So um, it's great to have you with us this morning. We're carrying on with our series about um, from setbacks to comebacks. And last week we had a look at the life of Moses. And, and I'm just going to recap very briefly because we touched on very similar principles today. We saw from Moses' life that um, he made a spectacular comeback from his setback. I'm hoping that you realized last week that there's a wrong way to deal with your failures, and that is to run from God, to put distance between yourself and God, because the biggest problem by doing that is that we become defined then by our failures. And we keep on living our lives looking into the past, what we failed in, instead of looking forward to where God's taking you. I mentioned last week that one of the biggest consequences of living your life in your failures and moving away from God is that you lose the confidence that God actually has a plan and a purpose for your life and wants to use your life. And you lose confidence that you actually have something to offer God in the kingdom of God. And I'm hoping that you realized last week that the right way to deal with our failures is simply to draw close to Jesus, to move towards him. Because when Moses did that, God reinstated him to the purposes and the plans God had for him. And he started to live his life not looking in the rearview mirror, but in the windscreen uh, to the future and the purposes that God had for him. This morning we're going to be looking at the life of Peter the, the disciple, Peter the apostle, and mainly out of the book of John. And also Peter made a spectacular comeback from his setbacks. One of the things that always strikes me about Peter is that how do you make such a comeback from the disappointment of your own unfaithfulness? And we're going to look at that this morning. It always, uh, you know, when I, particularly when I'm out, out of the church environment and in, we're going to, Wimpy is my favorite place at the moment, and uh, often I sit there and the guys know that, that we're from the church and we'll speak. And you know what's interesting always is sometimes when you meet people and you start to speak to them about they want to know what you do and you say, I'm a pastor or, you know, we're going to Zambia, whatever the case may be. Sometimes you meet people and their eyes light up and they begin to speak to you and they begin to tell you about when they went on missions and when they were actively involved in the church. And it's almost like halfway through the discussion, it starts to dawn on them that their lives aren't like that anymore that they in fact have fallen quite far away from the purposes and the plans that God has for them. And often the conversation just comes to an abrupt halt. And I always look at them and I think, oh, this is, it's so sad. It's so sad that people were so passionate, so excited about the call and the purposes that God had for their lives. And for whatever reason, they just jumped onto the wrong track of their lives. And all of a sudden, it's a distant memory. And, I, and when you listen to those stories, you realize that they've lost confidence that God can actually use their lives. We do this because I, I was praying and I was saying to God, God, why? Why do we end up like that? And I felt the only word that came into my heart was broken promises. Is that we make promises to God. God, I promise you I'm going to do this. I promise you I'm going to live this way. I promise you I'm going to give that. I promise you I'm going to serve you like this. And then a month later, we're back at the same place saying, God, please forgive me, but I promise you this time it's going to, this time I'm really going to give my life to you. This time I'm really going to love my family. This time I'm really going to deal with this habit. This time I'm really going to sort out my anger. This time I'm really going to start tithing. 
And six months later, you're back at the same place and you're back at making the same promise. And it's that repeated cycle of disappointing God, disappointing yourself, disappointing others that begins to put this distance between you and the call and the purposes that God has for your life. It's our own unfaithfulness that haunts us. And just like Moses, we get to a place in our lives where we feel that God can't really use us because we are so unfaithful. And we forget that the plan, God has plans and purposes for our lives. But if you resonate a little bit with what I'm saying to you this morning, then I want you to listen to the sermon because the sermon is about Peter. It's about Peter who makes a promise to God and fails him horribly. But I want to say to you the story is about how God moves him from a place of failure and disappointment and he re-engages him to the, with the plans and the purposes that God has for his life. And you see God's heart. God wants to restore and re-engage those that feel like failures and feel like disappointments. So we pick up the story with Peter's life. And um, the first thing is important. You need to understand Peter's call. In Luke chapter 5, we pick up on the story where Jesus calls Peter. It says here in, in verse 3 of chapter 5, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Peter's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, Put out into the deep and let your nets for a catch. And Simon Peter answered him, Master, we toiled all night and nothing took, and took nothing. But at your word I will let down the nets. I want you to imagine what's happening. Jesus is preaching, he then gets into the boat, he's finished preaching, and he says to him, let's go out and fish. And Peter looks at him and says, he didn't know at that time he was the son of God, he was just a rabbi, and he says to him, listen, rabbi, <laughs> we fished the whole night, nothing happened. But I think he was a well-schooled husband. I'll tell you why. Because husbands know when their wife says, let's try it again, the right answer is, yes, my dear. And so he said that, he said, because you say so, I'll do it. And so we pick up the story. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish in their nets, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinner, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon Peter. And Jesus said to him, now listen to this, listen, understand what happens here. Do not be afraid, he's saying to Peter, for now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed him. You see, what happens in Luke chapter 5 is that God and, and Christ affirms the call and the purposes that they have for Peter's life. He was a fisherman by trade. His family was probably a fisherman. His whole life was, was, was prepared around the fact that he was going to spend his whole life in this career of fishing. But he meets Jesus Christ. And Jesus looks at him. And Jesus encounters him and says to him, I haven't called you to be a fisherman. I've called you. I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for you to be a fisher of men. And it reminds me of us today. Because do you remember that day when you met Christ? Do you remember that day when you two fell on your knees and said, I'm a sinner. I need you. Do you remember how you realized that God has a different plan for your life. 
You've had plans all your life that what you're going to be, and when you meet Christ, all of a sudden you realize, but God has a plan for my life. God has a purpose for my life. And that realization that you can live your life passionately to fulfill the call of God on your life. And we see that Peter followed Jesus, and, and he had many highs and many lows, and some of the highs, there's so many, I mean, he saw all the miracles. But, but he also walked on water, imagine that. You could walk on water. But we also think of the fact that he was part of the inner circle and he saw things that the other disciples didn't see. He went onto the, the mount where the transfiguration was and it was only him and, and John, and I think it was James with him. On the Mount of Olives, where the question was, Jesus, what is the end times going to be like? Peter asked that question. It's only him and John who are with Christ at that time. And so we see that this man lives this life very close to Jesus, but we also see that he fails. Remember how he failed when Jesus told Matthew 16, Jesus says, I'm going to leave. I'm going to die. I'm going to leave. And Peter, the Bible says, rebukes Jesus. And Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. And I think to myself, what must have gone through that man's heart? At that moment, remember how he cut off the high priest's servant's ear when they came to um, arrest Jesus Christ. But his most spectacular failure was obviously when he denied Jesus. The Bible tells us that they were preparing to go into Gethsemane. And they were finishing in the, uh, with the Passover. And it says in verse 30 of uh, Matthew 26, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me tonight. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Now listen to Peter's response. Peter answered him, though they all fall because of you, I will never fall away. Can you imagine as he sits there, he looks at all the other disciples and he says, they'll fall. These guys, they're dodgy. They don't love you as much as I love you. They'll fall, but I won't fall. He carries on to say, Peter said to him, even if I must die for you, I will not deny you. And he makes this promise. God, just my promise. I won't deny you. They may fall, but I'm not going to fall. I'm with you. Hours later, he denies Jesus three times. The Bible tells us that in verse 69, now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, you are also with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before all of them, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. I swear, I don't know this man. After a little while, the bystanders came up, to, up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. John tells us, the book of John tells us that as the third time came, as he denied Jesus the third time and the rooster crowed, Jesus looked at him and he saw Christ. 
I wonder what went through him in that moment. The disappointment, the failure, the hurt. Have you ever thought about putting yourself into Peter's shoes in that moment? Coming face to face with your own sinful heart. Coming face to face with your own unfaithfulness. It dawned on me as I was preparing, we all know that feeling. We all know the feeling of failing and failing God and failing others, failing ourselves. That moment when we too realize how sinful we are in our hearts, how unfaithful we are. Peter responds by running away and disengaging with the plans and the purposes that God has for him. In John chapter 21, the last book of John, we pick up the story again with Peter. Jesus is resurrected. And we, we, this is kind of where, where Peter comes back into the picture. And it says there that in verse 1 to 3 of chapter 21, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he, he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, well, we'll go with you. They went out and got into a boat that night and they caught nothing. There's a lot of different opinions about why Peter went fishing. I, I think this is why Peter went fishing. He went back to what he knew before he knew Christ. He went back to a place where he could find value again. Because he knew, okay, I've blown it. This call that God has on my life of being a fisher of men, I've blown it. But I could at least be a fisherman still. I could still go back and find some value for my life by just being what I've always known I was. And I thought about, you know, thinking about that, I think, you know, we don't respond any differently. You know, when we are confronted by disappointing God and disappointing ourselves, our own unfaithfulness, our own failures, you see, we also return back to the places that we were before Christ called us. And what I mean with that is this. I find that many times when we feel that we failed God or we've just messed up and how could God use my life? And how can God call me again? What do we do? We, we dive and we fill our lives again with our careers and with our sports and with our hobbies and with everything else. And it keeps us so busy that it distracts us from the truth that we need to go before God and deal with this disappointment. I was thinking of scale electrics around this point. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's little cars, and it's normally a little eight. You make this thing in a little eight, and then you put this car, and you push this button, and the car goes, and you're just like, like this the whole time. But sometimes when somebody comes in, my brother used to do that, and he would bump it by mistake, and the car would jump from one track to the other track, but it would still keep going. It's just now on the wrong track. And I think, you know, that's what happens to us when we fail. That's what happens to us when our own unfaithfulness becomes a reality in our lives. We jump from the track, the plans and the purposes and the call that God has for us, and we just jump into the busyness and distractions and life. And we never think again about going back to what the purposes that God called you to. 
Maybe today you're coming face to face or you've been face to face with your own, the reality of your own heart, your own unfaithfulness. Maybe you've jumped tracks. Maybe you're finding your value in other things because you don't think God can really use you anymore. I want to tell you that is not the truth. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he wants to restore you back to the plans and the purposes that he has for you. It is interesting. Where was God when Peter failed? Where was God? Where is God when you fail? Where is God when we disappoint him and we break another promise? Well, the Bible tells us that God was right there with Peter all the way. The interesting thing is that God was actually before Peter, before he failed. Luke 22 tells us from verse 31, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But listen to what Jesus says. But I've prayed for you. He doesn't say, but I'm going to be disappointed if you fall. No, I'm going to reject you if you fall. He says, I've prayed for you. And this is what he prays, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. You see, Jesus knew. It didn't catch him by surprise. I want to say to you, our failures, our disappointments, our broken promises doesn't catch God by surprise. In fact, I believe he's doing exactly the same as what he did for Peter. He's praying for us. He's praying like he did for Peter, that his faith wouldn't fail. That his faith in God, that his faith in God's grace, in his love, in his mercy, in his kindness, in his goodness, in his forgiveness, wouldn't end. And that when he, he keeps his faith in those things and he turns to Jesus, he would come back to him and God would restore him and he would go and fulfill the purposes that God had for his life. That's what Jesus prays for. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews 7, 25, consequently, he is able to save, that's talking about Jesus, to the uttermost those who draw near to him, to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is praying for you right now. He's praying the same prayer if, if you are failing, if you are struggling with your failure, with your own disappointments, with your own unfaithfulness. He's praying that you wouldn't lose your faith in his love, in his kindness, in his grace, in his mercy for you. And that when you start to understand that those things are there, that you would respond and come near to him so he can re-engage you with the plans and the purposes that he has for your life. The second thing we see is that God didn't reject Peter at all. Mark 16, 7 says, so Jesus is resurrected and the, the, the ladies and Mary get to the tomb and the body's gone and there's an angel sitting on the, on, the, on the rock there. And the angel says to them, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. It is so amazing that he does, the, the, the writer here doesn't say, but go tell the disciples. He says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Why and Peter? The Bible doesn't tell us, but, uh, but I think we could speculate. I think it's because he felt that he wasn't part of that anymore. I think it's because he felt that he'd blown it so much that this call and this purpose and this future that Jesus told him about, he's disqualified himself and all he is now is a fisherman. And he looks at this and he, he feels excluded, rejected. But Jesus comes and he, 
tells him through, through this message, Peter, I've never excluded you. I've never rejected you. You're still part of the plan. And that's the message to you and to you this morning. You may feel rejected. You may feel that you're not part of it anymore. You may look at other people, other Christians who are doing the things for Jesus, and, and you may also be going, well, it's great for them because God's got a plan for them, but, but I've just failed, and I'm unfaithful, and, and I just got to get it right. I want to say to you this morning that when Jesus addresses us, he'll be calling you by name. He'll be calling you by name, saying, I still have a plan for you. You're part of the plan. So Jesus was right alongside him there all the way through. When we start to look at the, the restoration of Peter, I want to start by saying this. The Bible says that when Jesus looked at him, he wept bitterly. I believe with all my heart that that was the moment where the, the reality of what he had done broke his heart. The sin, the offense to God broke his heart. I believe it was at that point that he actually repented. Restoration only starts at repentance. Repentance means that you have to make a complete and an irreversible change of mind or heart and actions and recognize that our, your sin is offensive to God. I believe with all my heart that's what Peter did because he never sinned like this again. He repented. And that, that was the key that opened him to restoration. You see, I think the challenge we sit with today when we're dealing with our failures when we're dealing with our broken promises to God, is that we do sometimes feel remorseful and we feel guilty and condemned and we feel all these things. But many times we're not prepared to, make, to repent and make a real turn in that issue that's making us fall. I want to say to you today, if you're struggling and you need restoration, the place to start is to say, Lord, this thing that breaks my fellowship with you, this thing that we break the promise all the time, I repent of it today, and I'm never going back there again. And then I believe restoration comes. We see that Jesus restored him in two ways. There's so much here. I've, I've just picked two examples um, for sake of time. But what you see here is you see that uh, Jesus restored him back to the dream Back to the call. Back to the future. That, there's a movie like that, eh? Back to where he's taking him. John 21, 4 says, just, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not, did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Sounds familiar, eh? They answer him, no. He said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. This, you see, this time they didn't argue. They knew what happened last time. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Then that, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. It's the Lord speaking to us. He's on the shore there. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat and dragged the net full of fish, 
And they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. And when they got to out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, um, you know, in the place with fish laid out on it and bread. It's remarkable that Jesus takes Peter back to the day he called him. It's remarkable that Jesus recreates his call in his restoration. I wondered what went through Peter's heart when he cast that net to the other side. And all that came back to him was when Jesus called him a couple of years ago. And I was wondering about the significance of it. And I think it's significant because I think this is what's, what's at play here. I think Jesus is showing Peter. You're not a fisherman. You're a fisher of men. You may have failed. But the dream and the call that I have for your life is not over because of your unfaithfulness or because of your failure. It's still alive. And I don't want you to be a fisherman. I want you to be a fisher of men. I think Jesus is showing him that he hasn't given up on him. I think he's showing him that he hasn't given up on the call that he has for his life. I, th I think he's showing him he, doesn't have, he hasn't given up on the plan that he has for his life. And it reminds me of an illustration I saw the, a while ago with Jensen Franklin. It's, it's, it's a, there's this painting. It's called The Dream. It's got a French word, which I'm not going to try and say, but they'll put it up. And, you know, this painting, a guy called John, um, not John, I can't think of his name. Steve Wynn bought it for 55 million US dollars. Can you believe that, eh? Not too sure why, but because Picasso painted it. He bought it because it was signified his life. He had a dream to be a rich man. And he became a very rich man. So he bought this painting. And he wanted to put it in, in the entrance halls of one, one of his casinos. But a few years later, another man phones him. Steve Cohen is this guy's name. He says, I'll buy that painting from you for 139 million US dollars. I'm not sure how long he thought about it. But he decided to sell the painting. And the story goes like this. It's a true story. That on the night that he was... Was, it was going to hand this, he was going to hand the painting over the next day. The night before, he has this celebration, this dinner with friends and with the painting there. And as he's speaking, he trips and he falls and he puts his hand through the painting. And he destroys this painting. He destroys the dream. And so he goes back to Steve Cohen and says, Listen, I can't sell this thing to you. I'll give you your money back, 139 million rand back. And I'll have this broken painting. He finds a guy who can repair paintings and he repairs it for about 100,000 US dollars. A couple of years later, Steve Cohen looks at this painting again and he realizes that you can't even see that it was ever broken. They'd restored it. And he goes back and he says, you know what? I'm willing to pay 155,000 US dollars for this painting. And again, I don't know how long he thought about it, but he sold it. You see, the point is this. Sometimes our own mistakes can shatter the dream. But when Jesus restores, you're just as valuable as you always were.
The second thing we see is that he doesn't just restore back this dream that I've got a call for you despite your failures. He heals Peter. He heals Peter's heart. You know, it's one thing to know that God has a call for you. It's another thing to know that God can still use you. God still wants to use you. Two significant things happen on this beach. The Bible tells us that when they got onto the beach, Jesus had made a fire and there was some fish and he was making breakfast. And he uses this word, charcoal fire. You know that the Bible only has that twice ever in the whole Bible, twice. Charcoal fire, twice. The first time when Peter denies Jesus, he was standing on a, by a charcoal fire warming his hands. And the second time is where Jesus restores Peter. What's going on here? Well, I think this is what's going on. I think it's significant because Jesus is busy healing the pain of the memory of his failure. Think about it. Think about every time Peter would have walked past the charcoal fire, what would he have remembered? How I denied Christ. But now, as Jesus restores him, what does he remember when he sees the charcoal fire? I was restored by Christ. Jesus removes the pain and the memory and replaces it with a call and the purposes that he has for him. It may look different for us today, but I think Isaiah 61, 1 to 5, tells us what Jesus wants to do in our lives. It says that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He wants me to bind up the brokenhearted. Maybe you are brokenhearted. Maybe every time you think about your broken heart, and what you need to think about is Jesus has come to bind up my broken heart. He's come to proclaim liberty to the captives. Maybe when you're feeling like a captive, what you need to be thinking is not that I'm a captive, that Jesus has come to set me free. Opening the prison to those who are bound, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. Maybe you feel today that, that the life the world's against you. I want to say to you, replace that with the truth that the favor of God is upon you. To comfort all who mourn. Grant those who mourn in Zion to give them beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. Can you see how Jesus replaces the pain with good? The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and that they may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall rise up from former devastation. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastation of many generations. And this I add in, and they will make a comeback from their setbacks. You see, Jesus wants to remove the pain of our failures and replace it with a plan our future. The second significant thing that we see in this restoration is that he not only heals him there, but he also does something significant here. You'll remember that in John 21, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but he goes to Peter and he says to Peter three times, do you love me? Around this fire, do you love me, Peter? Peter says to him, I do. He says, then feed my sheep. 
And this, this goes on three times. And I think it's significant because three times, because three times he denied him. But yeah, three times he affirms him. Again, replaces the, the wrong with the right. But I think what, what Jesus is simply saying to him is this, Peter, I've forgiven you. Your call is, I've called you. You know what I want you to do now? I don't want you to live with your life looking in the rear of a mirror at your past and your failures. I want you to look to the future, the call that I have for you. And all I want you to do now is just be obedient to what I'm calling you to do, and that is to feed my lambs. And so we see in this restoration that God heals his heart. He heals him and he restores him back to the call. And he says to him, the way to walk forward now is just to obey what I've set in motion in your life. I want to close this morning by telling you my own personal testimony. This is a, a very personal story for me. I love this portion of scripture because I lived this a little bit. When I was in my early 20s, I made a promise to God. I said, Lord, there's a particular area that I will never fail you in. Never. You know, youthful stupidness. And I, I, was, I prided myself on the fact that, you know what, I'll never fail in this area. Guess what happened? <laughs> I fell in that area. I remember the pain, the disappointment, the failure. You know, I was, I was so passionate at the time. I, was, I wanted to just live for God, do things for God. I didn't care. I knew God had a plan for my life. I knew He had a purpose for my life. But in that moment when I came face to face with my own heart, my own unfaithfulness, I did exactly what Peter did. I was still in church, but I got busy with, with life and stuff, and I slowly disengaged with this pursuit for the purposes of God in my life. And I remember that, I mean, I don't fast, fast well. I'm a bad faster. But I was so desperate, I went on a five-day fast. And every time I walked into the spa and I smelled that bread, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Because I wanted to make right with God. And I was still a newish believer and I didn't understand the fullness of, of God at the time. And, and I was thinking that I'm going to have to work my way and perform and prove to God that how serious I am in my repentance. And I remember it was about five weeks after that incident that I went to a course that was called um, From uh, Curses to Blessings. And this guy prayed for me at the end. And as he prayed for me, the Spirit of God came upon me. And as I was lying on the floor there, all he said to me, he said, God's got a message for you. I mean, I didn't know this guy from Bath Soap. He said, you failed God. And there you said you never failed. But God has forgiven you. What I should have done was I should have got up and re-engaged with the purposes and the plans that God had for me. But what I did do was I got up and I still felt that I wasn't good enough, that I'd blown it. And it took about 10, 12 years of being in church, not really following the purposes that God had for me because I had this feeling that I just wasn't good enough. I remember one day praying and I felt God just like grab me. 
Nick, listen to me. Have I forgiven you? Have you repented? I said, Lord, yeah, of course I repent. I've never did that again in my whole life. But now as an older, a more mature believer, and I realized in that moment, God's forgiven me. I've wasted 12 years. 12 years. And I start to re-engage as God restored me back into the plans and the purposes that he had for me. You know what is interesting? He did the same as what he did to Peter. You know where he took me right after those five weeks? I was just too dumb to understand it. He took me to the place where he called me. That place where I was on my knees and he said, I'd forgiven you of your sins. I was there again. But this time I just didn't respond the right way. But I want to say to you, because it happened for me, God restored me. And he restored the passion. And he restored and he re-engaged me with the call. I wasted 12 years. Could have been like that after five weeks. And I pray that that's not going to be your story. That you too will realize that God loves you. And through our failures, He doesn't reject us. Doesn't come as a surprise. But He's praying that you and I won't lose our faith. That we'll understand His grace and His love and just come back to Him. So that we don't become fishermen when we're called fishers of men. But they will engage again with the purposes and the plans that he has for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. God, I, God it's just amazing that you are so full of grace, so full of love, so full of kindness, so full of mercy. Father, I pray for everybody who resonates with Failure and with unfaithfulness and broken promises, Lord. I pray this morning, Spirit of God, that you would bring a revelation. That you do love, you still have a purpose, you still have a plan. And that we would run to you. I pray for healing and restoration over every person that is struggling like that today, Lord. And I pray today, Lord, that you will call many who are fishermen at the moment back to being fishers of men. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.